Dotnet Rocks episode 682 with guest Brad Abrams. Recorded live Tuesday, July 5th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to a very special .NET Rocks. Richard, how are you? I am well, my friend, and I'm feeling a little strange because I'm sitting in the engineering seat today. Yeah, and I'm in the middle of freaking nowhere. (laughs) You're in the Pacific Northwest, not quite at my place, but you're amongst the trees, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that my cell phone works at all. Number one, number two, I'm I have a a handset recorder that I'm using in my car because that's the only place where I get cell phone reception. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. Welcome to the left coast, buddy. Yeah, yeah, it's good. The trees are tall, and it's a beautiful day, though. Hey, and and since I'm in my car and you're in the studio. Maybe you should introduce our guest. Absolutely. I've got Brad Abrams here. He just started as production manager for the Google Plus developer platform at Google. He previously worked on Google's developers tools for the cloud, including the Google Web Toolkit and App Engine. In a past life, Brad was a founding member of the Common Language Runtime team and the .NET Framework team at Microsoft, where he worked on various products, including the Base Class Libraries, ASP.NET, Silverlight, and WCF. The prodigal son has returned. Welcome back, Brad. Hey, Brad. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, of course. You, uh, I mean, we, I can't tell you how many interviews we've done with you. I'd, I'd have to go look through. It's got to be half a dozen at least, but it's always been yeah, Microsoft Yeah, technology. they've all been fun and, and eventful, so I'm sure this will be the same. And and I can't argue with the timing. We're recording this uh, on July 5th, and, and Google Plus only dropped uh, a few days ago. That's right. That's right. Yeah. While, in fact, I was relocating my family down to California while we were shipping Google Plus. It was really fantastic. So tell us about Google Plus. Obviously, that's the first question. Yeah. yeah so I just joined the Google Plus team, so I really can't take take a lot of credit for it. But I, I've been really impressed with the team and what they've done uh, is, is really think about how sharing works. They both sharing on the web, but but sharing generally and and you know with your friends and and, and one. Um, observation that we, we saw from, uh, from user studies and user research that the team did as well as, uh, just as we talked to our own friends and neighbors. Um, and, and, and that is that sharing work, you, you share differently with different groups of people. You know, I might tell my bowling buddies sort of different stories than I might tell my coworkers at work than, than, than I might tell my family. And we think that online sharing uh, when we looked at the technologies that were available there, we're, we're just broken, and the web was just broken for sharing today. And that that wasn't an accessible situation. So we felt like there's um, some value we can add. So we've been we uh, just launched this um, Google Plus project where we're experimenting with, uh, with with different ways to do sharing on the on the web today. And when you say sharing, what um, what domains are we talking about here? Sharing what? Well, exactly. So sharing your your thoughts and opinions, sharing pictures. Um, there's a, a, a very cool uh, Hangouts 
uh, technology. That's a, a multi-party video conference, free multi-party video conference that's in Google+. Plus. Um, the Spark system that, that shows you new interesting articles, like news and blog articles, and you can use that to spark conversations and, and share those in the, in the stream. So the sort of news feed of Google+. Plus. Okay, so I'm I'm hearing social networking creeping in here. Uh, that's probably no surprise. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, I mean, the web is fundamentally a social place. You know, if you mm-hmm. think about the web when it started, it was all about pages and links, um, mm-hmm. and and the web is increasingly about people and their connections. And so, Google yeah. Plus helps you work with those connections on the web. Now, have you um, exposed an API? For us lowly developers, so that in fact that is is uh, what I joined the Google Plus team to go do, um, and I just joined the Google Plus team. You know, uh, was it like two weeks, three weeks ago? So uh, not quite yet, but we're we're actively we're actually working on it. In all seriousness, well, we great. wanted to get the the consumer experience out first, and really right. make sure we understand. Uh, we are actively learning in this space. I mean, it shouldn't surprise anyone that 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 Google is learning about social right now. And so, you know, we've watched a bunch of other companies in this space go out with APIs and then change the APIs and change the mm-hmm. rules. And you know, yeah. as software developers, if you can't count on the platform, if the platform changes underneath you and the rules change underneath you, it's very difficult. So what we yeah, want to do is get the platform out, figure out what will work. And then to be honest with you, uh, you know, my, my feeling right now is we'll move slowly on, on the platform. It will definitely have a platform and we'll definitely roll it out, but we'll, we'll, we'll roll it out in stages. Oh, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that. That's very cool. So you obviously bring your experiences at Microsoft in, in the CLR and in APIs and in, you know, web services and ASP.NET and all that stuff to the, to the table. The, they must have been very happy to, when you, when you joined the team. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, I think it was a good, it was a good fit for both of us because it's, uh, you know, I'm a platform guy. I love, I love platforms. But, uh, mm-hmm. we can talk a little bit about the, the first, you know, the other Google platform stuff I've done. Um, but, you know, with, with Google Plus, it's a brand new platform and that is very exciting to be in on the ground floor of, uh, yeah. a new platform when it's being built. So maybe we should talk about some of the other stuff you've done since you, when did you start at Google? Um, I started a little over a year ago, probably about okay. about thirteen, fourteen months ago. Um, yeah, so the first stuff I worked on the uh, Google Web Toolkit. Uh, people might be familiar with that. It's it yep. uh, lets you write in Java, so I actually got a lot of experience writing in Java, which was which was a lot of fun. Um, so you write in Java and it compiles to JavaScript, um, and it lets you build really um, really rich client side applications, very sophisticated applications. Wow. Um, Google has a lot of these, like the, I don't know if you've ever managed an AdWords campaign. That's another thing I've, I've learned about, but. I have, yeah. There is a lot you can do with, in terms of targeting and managing the, that campaign. And that whole application that agencies use to manage is written in, in, in GWT. Um, and so wow. it's a very rich functioning application. Wow. Um, Okay. But I think, I think the thing that, uh, might have caught your interest in, so I, I had a chance to speak at Google IO this year, um, and talked about, um, we did some work with, with, uh, App Engine and having App Engine and Android work well together. Um, and App Engine is what? 
App Engine is Google's cloud hosting environment, so it's a absolutely it, it starts off for as a as a free tier where you can go in, build your applications in Java or Python, um, and um, host those in the exact same infrastructure that we run Google Search on and Gmail on and and whatnot. Um, so mm-hmm. it scales in some crazy ways. Um, so it's kind of effectively infinite um, scaling. Uh, so you build your application on that, and then um, you know, kind of the the technology they have today is you know you you can use GWT or you can use um, you know, Python has Django and whatever to go go write web UIs. Um, so so we worked on that, and then of course you know Android um, it is very popular kind of mobile phone and tablet sort of device um, market. And, you know, I love my Android phone, but one of the things I noticed about it is, is when I move from phone to phone or like, uh, my, my, uh, I, I got a new phone and I got, uh, in my old phone, I was through like level, whatever it was, 15 or 20 on Angry Birds and I was really happy with my progress on that. And then I got my new phone and it's like, I had to start over. <laughs> and it really just killed my motivation. So. Yeah. So I literally went over to the Android team and said, "Ah, oh, what is going on? Like, why? Why is this? Like, is it, it, it? It's not like um, you know the Angry Birds guys aren't aren't smart guys. They could certainly have have gone and made a cloud version, but it was just it was just too difficult for them. And so um, around the holidays last year, I started talking with um, some of the guys on the Android team about what we can do, and it turns out they were very excited about trying to enable Android." And, um, and App Engine to work really well together. So you can marry this sort of cloud base back in with, with an yeah. Android front end. Um, and you can, and can do things like, you know, share state or common authentication. So like on your Android phone, you're already logged in with a Google identity and App Engine already knows that as well. So that's all taken care of for you. Oh, good. And, uh, the other big one was, uh, push notifications. So, you know, on an Android phone, uh, if you have a phone app, you don't want to pull like for new news feeds or or new data. You don't want to pull all the time because they'll just drain your battery and whatnot. And right. so, um, Google already has a channel um, on most mini Android phones that have the Google experience that we use for like Google Chat and whatever that's already doing polling. And what we let you do is tunnel through that, and so you can oh, use nice. that channel. Um, and there's a technology called C2DM. Um, Google's full of these acronyms as well. Um, the C2DM is cloud to device messaging. Um, and okay. it was launched a little over a year ago, but, um, it, it's a little bit complicated to use and a lot of developers were, were having some, some trouble with that. And so we came in, we integrated it with App Engine, had a very nice tools experience around it, um, and really made that, that a very easy experience. So there's really only one app that's polling. Right. Everybody who wants push can piggyback on top of that. That's right. I mean, basically, since Android came out, every Google app has been able to do that. And we found that oh, cool. to be very valuable. So then the next thing we did is, like, well, how can we you know, make this available to the third-party ecosystem as well? Right. Well, very cool. So it's been a wild ride, huh? Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, definitely a lot of new stuff to learn. Um uh, for me, uh, but you know, it's also been been eye opening. You know, lots lots you know, new perspectives on things and whatnot. So it's been good. Right. 
Has the hop between languages impacted you much? I mean, you, you've lived and breathed C-sharp for a long time. Now Java and Python? Yeah, yeah. So de- definitely a, a, a dynamic language like Python is very, very different. Um, and, you know, it's what, what's funny is that there, there's the exact same debate um, mm-hmm. that, that we've had or that I've had at Microsoft uh, here about, you know, the pros and cons of dynamic versus static languages. There are definitely people here at Google who feel very strongly about, you know, one camp or the other. Um, right. You know, I personally got a chance to write a lot more JavaScript and uh, Python code, so I've kind of gotten more more experience with that and kind of appreciate um, the dynamic nature better. It's definitely easier to get things off the ground without a lot of ceremony. Very easy. But then, of course, it's kind of a pain to debug sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. Why do you, you know, we've had, not only we had this debate before, I mean, you remember ASP as well. Those were very, yeah. that was a very dynamic language, very quick to get off. It was write once, read never, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> right exactly. only. So what do you think has changed that has made dynamic languages reasonable to use for production code? Well, what, what, what I think the attribute of what I would consider like professional Python or professional JavaScript developers is unit testing and, 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 and testing, general testing kind of right from day, like the first thing they do is write a set of tests and then make them pass, the right. whole test first approach. And I think if you have that, then the spaghettiness of the code is greatly reduced. Um, it, it becomes a lot, it, it, it's sort of thinking about the test and then writing the app, um, I don't know. I think it's. A, I think it has the side effect that makes the the code more readable and um, more more valid. And so that's what I see from people who are writing production Python and, and JavaScript code. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik Just Code. If you're like me, you're probably using some productivity add-on in Visual Studio to check, refactor, and test your code. But how'd you like to get a complete list of your solution's errors? on the fly as you type, and not just for the opened files. The new kit on the block, JustCode, does just that for all supported .NET languages as well as JavaScript. It's like having a compiler running all the time, only that JustCode is faster and requires less CPU time. One area where JustCode is definitely better is performance. The tool provides the fastest code analysis and better performance without slowing down Visual Studio. Another reason to try it is JavaScript support. It'll help you read, navigate, and refactor your JavaScript code better than you've ever imagined. Learn more about the features JustCode offers and download a trial at Telerik.com slash JustCode. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Have you learned anything from uh, Java that you think the C-sharp crowd could uh, benefit from? Hmm. Um... Yeah, we had some good debates about uh, the reverse, but I won't. I won't go into that. Um, I, I, oh, I think okay. um, you know, if you look at why Java, I guess this is more of a, a, a business take. But why did Java take take off? Like at Google, like Google, a lot of our stuff internally is written with Java. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it has to do with at least at the time, the openness of Java and the fact that, you know, we could build our, Google could build our own VMs for it and kind of customize things the way, the way they wanted to and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. and there was, 
you know, a perception or, or a reality that that wasn't the case with, um, with C sharp and the, and the CLR. Mm-hmm. I think, I think some of it is just the, um, the openness and, and trusting the, the, the market around that. Um, I don't, I also feel like the CLR has never really achieved the portability it might have. You find stuff like yeah. JavaScript running in a lot more places. This, I find it fascinating to have this conversation about using JavaScript anywhere outside of the browser. But I look yeah. at technologies like Node.js. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where you suddenly stop thinking about JavaScript as a browser language, start thinking of it as a dynamic yeah. language that a lot of people understand, and you can use yeah. it in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. But I, and I think that, that's, a, that's a great example because exactly what I mean about trusting the market with the openness of it. Because JavaScript is very open and just encourage, actively encourage multiple VM implementations of, uh, for JavaScript. And just mm-hmm. in the case of Node.js, uh, Google was able to build our own V8, uh, engine. Um, and that enabled obviously some interesting innovations in, in Chrome and, and later in other browsers. But it also, you know, started to make, it was, raised the performance to such a level that it was, it, it became a meaningful server environment as well. And so that's what Node is built on. I, I don't want to walk away from this either. Talk a little bit about the V8 engine, because I think it's really interesting. Yeah, oh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a fantastic piece of technology. Um, you know, it's one of those things that kind of gets to the cool, the socially, the core culture at, at, at Google, there was just a, you know, a few guys in Denmark that had this, you know, passion to go make JavaScript faster. And even people at Google were like, yeah, well, I don't know if JavaScript is really our biggest issue, blah, blah, blah. This is a compiler, right? I'm just, you haven't really said what it is yet. Oh, I'm sorry. So V8 is a, it's a virtual machine for JavaScript. Okay. And this is Chrome, right? It reads in JavaScript and interprets it. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, so this is what makes Chrome fast, right? The the JavaScript compiler in Chrome, is that it? Yeah, it is the JavaScript engine in Chrome. Right. Yeah, that's the primary place that it, it ships today. Isn't it a compiler? So there there is no intermediate format that it it kind of produces. It does um it does have a, a JIT to it. So I mean it does produce native code that it then goes and executes. Um and there is a garbage collector there hmm. but there's not like a equivalent of il or java bytecode yeah, and okay now we get into the sort of struggling over the definition of compiler right right exactly yeah. exactly yeah. It, it gets weird in this dynamic world what's, yeah. the, what's the compiler right you know if you look at the vast majority of javascript code written in google it is compiled so if you look yeah. at the, let's just take gmail pretty popular application or any of the GWT based apps. They are written like so take Gmail. It is written in uh in JavaScript but in a flavor of JavaScript called Clojure. Oh yes. Right. And there's a compiler called the Clojure compiler that runs across that JavaScript and does um among other things a, a, a technology called tree shaking where it removes dead code that doesn't get called. It creates different profiles for um for the different browsers that will hit it such that the code is, it, it does symbol renaming. Um, hmm. it, it, your classic compiler sort of tricks get the code to be small. It, 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 you, you write in JavaScript and it compiles JavaScript, hmm. but to a more compact version of JavaScript. And I, I'm thinking in terms of, you know, we realize that every 
high-level language we write in eventually becomes some kind of machine code. Otherwise, it wouldn't actually yeah. execute. Right. When right. I start thinking right. about compiling uh, and this whole legit idea, it's how many lines ahead are you working on this code before it's executed that you can start to have these efficiencies to look at a block right. and go, here's a tighter right. way to do that. I mean, is that yeah. where you're at right. now? Is that you're, you're at least, you're, you're having compiled everything in advance, but you are ahead. Yes, yes. Well, I think that there's, there's, it's like, what are you optimizing for? Right. And, and, yeah. and like in the case, you have to find where the bottlenecks are. And in the, in the case of JavaScript for the web, there's a big issue about downloading a lot of JavaScript. And right. so one of the things that, that you're compiling for or you're optimizing for is size of executable, right? And if you think of that in like the Windows, you know, the classic Windows client app experience, that's not a huge deal because it's a one-time thing. You download it once and whatever. Um, but for web apps, it's a really huge issue. If you can shave, you know, a hundred bytes, like that, that has a, a, a difference, you know, that makes a difference in the startup time for a web app. So. Right. But aren't we talking about, you're not just talking about the transfer times. The minification takes that on. You're talking about yeah. once those bytes arrive, how do you execute? No, it's both. It's both. So, so minif- minification can only do so much. Like if you have a real compiler, how much more can you do? Can you actually, um, you know, fold loops and, uh, I don't know, you know, hmm. compiler type of thing. Right, so, right. So the, the closure compiler does some of that. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, well, out of left field, here's a question for you, sure. and I and I hope you you take it the right way, and uh-huh. our audience does too. Can do you think Microsoft can learn anything from Google that they haven't learned yet? You know, I, I think it goes both ways. You know, I, I think that there is a lot that uh, Google can learn from 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 Microsoft. I mean, if you look at the rate Google's hiring, it's a becoming a big company, um, and. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, some things that used to work before may not work now. And so I think there's some things that Google can learn there. Um, and, you know, maybe there is some things, you know, overall, I, I, I didn't leave Microsoft because I wasn't happy with them. I, I have a lot of respect for, for Microsoft. Um, and right. I still think they're going to be a very important player in the, in the industry. It's not like they're going away. Nothing, yeah. no, definitely not. Definitely not. I was listening to uh, one of my favorite new podcasts is the Freakonomics podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those guys are great. And they were talking about um Google's uh 20% of playtime that that all the engineers get. Yeah. 20% of their time is spent just experimenting with stuff. Yeah. And that's where Gmail came from. Yeah. Gmail was yeah. a was something that one Google guy did and I don't know his name. I can't remember it. I heard it on the plane ride over. And and that just turned into Gmail. And so then the question was posed, do you think Gmail would have happened if Google hadn't implemented that 20% experimentation time? And yeah. he, he ans- actually answered he's not sure yeah. if it would have or not. Yeah. Well, there, yeah, yeah. So this is, I agree that the 20% time is a very interesting um, concept. Yeah, but things that work at one company won't work at others because there's, yeah. there's a whole culture that comes with it. Right. It's not, it's, it's, it's not just that you give people 20% of their time to do whatever they want to it, but you have to have a culture that can handle, uh, innovation like that. Dis- yeah. Disruptive innovation. Um, right. 
And, he says and, one of the uh, coolest things they said was that usually in companies you have meetings where everybody gets together for 20 minutes to solve one problem. And this sort of turns it on its head where everybody's solving their own problems for 20 minutes. And then, you know, there's that however many people are involved, it's that many times multiplied of yeah. innovation. Yeah. 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 It's really a great yeah, idea. It does, it does create a, you, know, you, you also have to be careful with, because it creates a cacophony too. Like everybody yeah. is off, you know, the, you know, pick, if you pick a problem uh-huh. space, uh, there's probably 10 people at Google working on that in their 20% time, you know, it's like, right, right. um, and sometimes if, if you think about the world as a search problem, and that's good because they're, they're uh, hopefully pursuing different parts of the, of the search, the search space, right? And hopefully one of them will find it and then we'll lock on the answer and go. But it can also look very um, duplicative, uh, you know, if, if people are pursuing kind of very similar uh, uh, you know, lines of research on this. Mm, yeah. So I guess this begs the question, what are you doing in your 20% time? <laughs> well, um, so, you know, for the first year, I, you know, my 20% time was finding the bathroom, you know, like I was just, <laughs> you know, learning, uh, learning everything, um, and uh, my my twenty I do have a twenty percent project now, but I'm going to pull the classic Google thing and say it's uh, it's a top secret. So yeah, okay, that's fair uh, enough. We will. I I do think just to whet your appetite, though, I do think when it comes out, it will be it will be an interesting thing to to talk to you guys about. Ah, exciting! Yeah. And that sounds like downplayed. It's probably going to be amazing. Yeah, it, I've yeah. I've hung around with Brad Abrams long enough to know that generally when he <laughs> works on what he wants to work on, it's very very cool. If he's yeah, if he says you're gonna like it, then it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, It'll be fun. Another angle on this would be uh, the interoperability story between some of the technologies that maybe you're involved in at Microsoft for, uh, against the, some of the Google platforms. And I'm specifically thinking about uh, like a RIA services layer that speaks to Google services. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Google services are by and large exposed via REST based APIs. Um, right, right. And so, and we do have a .NET client, um, uh, like a generic .NET client for calling many of those you know, REST APIs to help you do that. Um, and so, like making that work with with Visual Studio generally and with and with RIA services, I think would be would be fantastic. It's something Google would love to love to you know collaborate uh, on. Mm. So, if anybody's interested, you know, happy to. I mean, this, this, you know, one of the Google is very, very open source driven. You know, like ev- basically everything we're doing, we open source the implementations of. So right. People can go and experiment with them, see what's done, find bugs, um, contribute. So. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Grape City. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Boss comes and says, "Sales are up this week. I'm taking everybody out to lunch." Awesome. Next day. Uh, we're taking a loss. What happened? Well, you're a developer. You can create a report. So you go to your boss and say, okay, what should I report on? And they have no idea. Well, here's the good news. Active analysis from Grape City Power Tools empowers your boss, the money guys, so they can find the answers to their own questions. And the best part is, it's a control. Completely self-contained BI. Using a drag-and-drop interface, 
users can easily discover trends in the data, and more importantly, the deviations from those trends through its powerful graphical analysis capabilities. Development against the control is easy. All you have to do is provide the data. Active analysis will take care of the aggregation, grouping, filtering, and sorting for the user. Of course, it offers programmatic control of all these operations, too. So if you want more company lunches, do your boss a favor. Use active analysis. For a free evaluation, please go to gcpowertools.com slash analysis. And don't forget to thank Grape City for being a great sponsor of .NET Rocks. I, I don't think I've ever talked about this on the show before, but uh, Brad, one of the companies that uh, that I helped start, Strange Loop Networks, we're building an appliance for web acceleration, and we've actually implemented Speedy. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think we're the first appliance to have implemented Speedy. But i got to tell you, the Google team was incredibly accessible. Like We worked really closely with them back and forth to get that implementation to work. I think the guys met them uh, down at the Velocity Conference, uh, O'Reilly's show about web performance, and the conversations yep. went from there. They've worked on it ever since, and uh, yeah, we're up and running. It's, and it's interesting to see a very open approach to how yep. to do web interaction differently. Yep, yep. Yeah, so Speedy, we should probably tell you, Speedy is the is the uh, kind of a HTTP protocol that's, that's a lot faster, right? A lot faster. Well, it just breaks down the old barrier of the sort of TCPIP behavior of a separate connection for each file. Like that whole thing yeah. goes away. You're just basically dodging HTTP entirely. Yeah. So it's yeah. a it's a stay connected sort of protocol. You know, I don't pers- I don't personally work on Speedy, so I don't know the details. This is the first I've heard of it, so I'm interested. It's uh, a way, it, you know, the reality, of course, is that browsers stay connected as well, but they connect it, they connect it fairly limited way. Speedy basically says, let's not serially request each resource, just send me everything at once. Oh, okay. And so uh, the result is that it prim- its impact is on the resourcing. So this is really about replace, instead of, HTTP makes perfect sense when you're grabbing the web page, but when you're right. asking for images and, and resource files and things mm-hmm. like that, it, it's a little, it's too much overhead. So Speedy's like, yeah. okay, for all the resource it, stuff. It's like a thousand small files. Yeah. I mean, that's what the web is made of, right? Right, right, right. Oh, cool. Yeah, but, but it's an interesting observation in, in a kind of a Google culture thing. I mean, uh, Marissa Myers, who's a, who's a was was a longtime VP for for search, um, she has this quote that I think really um, helps you understand Google, and and that is that constraints breed innovation. So Google was born in this in this very constrained world. If you think of how constrained web browsers are, yes. and the and the web, like go try to build high end applications in web browsers, and you're just inundated with these constraints. Um, and so Google is just you know, some of the biggest ones are around performance, and and Google is so focused on performance and and getting the the latency as small as possible for for kind of every everything we're doing. Um, it's just it's it, it's it's amazing. So and it it goes through like the the server you know the cloud infrastructure that Google uses for our own properties. Everything has been optimized in, in excruciating detail to, <laughs> to even, you know, the web browser. And then now we're talking about the protocol that's used on the web. Like every piece of this puzzle must be completely optimized for these constraints. Wow. Yeah. Very much a wow. mindset of how they build these things. Yeah. It, now, yeah. there's a, 
you already mentioned this with the whole 20% thing, but the cacophony effect. And I feel like okay. Google mm. never has this sense of everybody pulling in the same direction. There's so many things going on at once and some stuff's on the rise and some, you know, recently there was some announcement from Google about shutting down a certain number of APIs. Like right. it feels like right. they finally started to triage down what's important and what isn't. Is, is that, yeah. but that's almost seems yeah. counterculture to them. Yeah. I mean, I think there is some of this, uh, you know, uh, Google, growing, you know, when Google was a thousand people or even five thousand people, it's a different company than it is now. Um and some things that work then maybe don't work as well now right. or need to be changed in how they work. Uh and so um I think some of this being a little more focused and deliberate uh is is really good. And I know it may be a little bit painful to get there, but especially in the developer space, the space I I care most about, and I know you guys care about it as well. Um, you know, it, before it was very easy to just throw any random API over the wall and ship it and, you know, have good things happen. And I think we're trying to be a little more deliberate so that we can create some consistency for developers um, right. to come come use. I think back to the WebSockets fiasco around Chrome, where yeah. maybe people really... In, you know, the, this is like the bad side of an open development model. Right. Uh, right. The perpetual beta where y you guys were doing the best you could, revving as quickly as you could, but people were building on older builds and then stuff broke. And then got broke. Yeah. Well, and you know, as well as I do, that Microsoft suffers from the same kind of problem. It's just when you have a lot of talent under one roof, things tend to, you know, you have different teams and stuff. Sometimes they seem like totally different companies. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, every, every company that has a lot of engineers and a lot of departments going on has got to, going to struggle with that problem, I think. Yeah. 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 And some of it, you know, it's a trade off and it's a good one, you know, because we get so much more innovation happening. And, and like I said, you have a bunch of people thinking about the problem. One, you know, we're, we're more likely to find the answer quicker. Um, so I, I, it's not like I want to get to a complete, you know, this is, command and control system, you know, group, this is what you're going right. to go do. You know, we, you need to have that sort of open innovation. It just needs to be balanced. Right. And it, and it feels to me, you're not saying this, but I get the sense that you're more of a planner. Like, you don't like throwing stuff against the wall. You think through things. Well, I think, I guess, I think it should be, you know, in the same way we think through things, like Google thinks through things very well for a consumer. Like, when something hits, search, it's been thought through. Like, right. we've done a bunch of experiments. We know, we kind of have a good sense of what's going to happen. Um, and I want to provide that same thing for the developer space. Where we have, when they, we experiment, maybe there's, there's a lot of experimentation going on, but by the time something is GA, is generally available, is, is really released, it's, you know, we're ready to stand behind that for some, for some period of time. Which I think this walks us neatly back to the beginning of our conversation around you're going to start building APIs for Google Plus. Yeah. And, uh, and let's face it, the Google Plus is not the first social app out yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's right. And we've certainly seen from Facebook and others when you keep twitching APIs, you make people sad. That's right. So uh, any thoughts about what you want to do in that space? I mean, it sounds like knowing what Google's already done, we're going to get a set of REST interfaces. We're going to be able to communicate pretty cleanly, uh, you know, a very agnostic protocol and approach. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, th I think the first, you know, like anybody in a new space, the first thing I'm doing is listening a lot. Yeah. You know, like 
what do developers want to do? This is why I was so excited when finally um, Google Plus, the consumer project, actually shipped um, last week because, uh, you know, now it's a lot easier to listen. Uh, you know, a lot of developers are clamoring for APIs. And so, you know, my question to them is, well, what is it? Like, what do you want to build? You know, right. give me the scenarios so that we can kind of really think through those and 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 understand them. Um, and some of those scenarios we'll be able to to meet out of the gate, and some of them might take us a little while longer to go and go and get that. You know, one of the things that 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 I've thought a lot about is to try to pr- prioritize things pretty clearly. And what like the top priority is that users have a good experience on Google Plus. And that if that means things are harder or not possible for developers, that's that's okay because developers ultimately aren't going to care unless users are there. Right, right. Now you don't want to build stuff that's really hard that nobody ends up wanting to use. Yes, yeah. Or you know, I mean, like with social networks, the big problem is is spam. Yep. You know, like, and yep. we can provide this an API that lets you spam everybody on Google Plus. Like, we could go build that API, and developers by and large, would love that API. But <laughs> users, you might not like that not API so much. As, a, yeah. as a user, right? Yeah. Um, or the effects that API would, would have. Um, and so we're probably not going to build the spam API, but, you know, there probably are some other things we could go do to help developers build you know, really valuable services for users. Interesting. Do you, it does Google Plus, and this is a, really the first I've heard of it. I'm, I, I'm even a Facebook, I mean, I have a lot of Facebook friends, but most of them are listeners of the show. And, um, uh, so I'm, so I'm not really all that familiar with okay. Google Plus. But yeah. are you guys going to snuggle up to Facebook and Twitter in terms of, uh, you know, broadening out and bringing in contacts to your, to, I'm, I'm not sure how it works. Well, you know, yeah, again, like with it, with, with philosophically, um, we believe that Google, Google believes that users own their data. Um, and so on any Google service, if you put data, if you trust Google with your data on Gmail or on Google Plus or whatever, it is your data and you are letting us hold it for you. And we, that, that so we believe that it's your data so you can do anything you want to with that data. If you want to take that data and, 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 you know, your graph of friends and export that to Facebook, that is completely your prerogative to do because it is your data. Same with exporting it to Twitter. Whether other social networks will adopt that same worldview, I, it is, is, that's... Subject to debate? That's, yeah, that's, hmm. that's, that's debatable. We think users like that worldview, but uh, we'll see. Interesting stuff. Yeah, that is interesting. So is there any sense of timeline? I mean, Google Plus has just happened. Yeah, it's just happened. So we're not, not ready. I'm not ready to commit to a, to a timeline on when we'll, when we'll have something. I mean, I guess we, one thing we could talk about that we have launched again, we launched it right as I was uh, joining the project, but, um, so I can't take a lot of credit for it, but I can explain it. The, the, um, plus one button. I don't know if you've heard about that. Yeah. But that was really, you know, looking back on it now, it was a it was a, a foreshadowing of Google Plus. Sure, um, this was the way that that you basically collecting that so the the social metric that people actually care about. I like that. That, right. that that's really what it is. Yeah, yeah. When we, uh, funny story when we 
when we moved, I was actually moved out of, out of our house in Seattle, and the Packers came to pack all our stuff and everything. I was actually um, at a at a offsite meeting in in Mountain View, so I wasn't there when the movers were there, and my wife had to handle all that. So you can imagine I was a little bit at the doghouse. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so for the, you know, the first time, I, I said, "Look, I really." think i should send flowers to my wife i mean don't you think that's a good idea that is a very good idea i highly recommend that yeah highly recommended yeah, so i go and i i type into google search i type flowers right and the first hit that came up uh was for for a, a company i guess i can give them free advertising on your show for for std and um a, a couple of co-workers that i work with had plus one it and so it showed david glazer um has plus one this, and I knew David Glazer. Right, I work with him every day, and he right. had plus one this. So that was a a powerful social annotation that told me, yeah, hey, look, this is this is you know a reasonable thing to go do. Somebody yeah, I right. know um, right. has recommended this site. Now later he told yeah, me he did powerful. it just as a test of the plus one button. <laughs> 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 the, 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 the social attitude. Uh, so there's no sincerity was, was button. <laughs> Uh, what you need is a what you need is a no really button. Yeah, yeah. This wasn't just no. So everybody at Google obviously has that Google account. So now I realize those are really for testing, and the actual opinion is people people's personal Gmail accounts. So right. I have to pay attention to that. <laughs> Interesting problem. So so are you getting to to work right now on the APIs? That's what's next for you, or do you have something else on the horizon you want to talk yeah, about? Yeah. So we. Yeah, yeah. Generally, the the developer platform for Google Plus is kind of the the major focus right now. Um, yeah, the team is mainly recovering right now from from launching uh, the consumer product. Um, there's already been a few updates uh, to it, so people are still working on that. But yeah, the next thing is to start working on that. And and in fact, there's already been a number of people have been working for quite a while on on the uh, on the APIs and whatever for the platform. Are you at all interested in having uh, feedback from the .NET space, perhaps from our listeners? Is there an email address you want to give out if somebody's got a suggestion? Oh, sure, sure. Um, you can contact me. That You'll love this. com slash plus. Nice. Uh, and that goes to my huh. Google Plus profile, and you, there's a link on there to email me. Uh, or you can uh, add me to your to your circles in, in Google Plus. Um and then I'll also uh, send you a link for the for the show transcript. There's a uh, a form that we'd love developers if they want to find out more about uh, the Google Plus APIs, the platform that comes out. And one of the things on that form that I push for that I'm really excited about is there's a big box where you can tell us what you want to build, um, and that'll do two things for for me. <laughs> um, one is it will. Uh, it just just help me get a sense for what people are are thinking of, what scenarios, and also right. you know if there's people that we might want to work with early, um, you know before we do the public launch to kind of validate some things, we can we can pull a few of those out uh, from that list. Okay, very cool, awesome. Well, Brad Abrams, so fun to catch up with you and to hear about all the great work you're doing, and and uh, good to hear that you're still still doing it. Yeah, yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Good luck with the show. All right, and good luck with Google Plus. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions. 
providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a